You're listening to the Enneagram and Marriage Podcast. I'm your host, Krista Harden, and I'm so glad you showed up for our relationship chat today, as well as for you and your people. We're all about living intentionally here so you can experience joy and balance in your relationships once again or for the very first time. Be sure you hang with us on our social media platforms. And if you like research like I do, make sure you check out our website at enneagramandmarriage.com for our weekly newsletter, freebies, and so much more, as well as at Instagram and Facebook. We have so many goodies to share with you. Let's dive right in together. Hey guys, so excited you can join us for an episode of the E&M Pod. Today, we are talking with Dr. Jerome Lubby about the brain-based Enneagram. And I am so thankful because we get to learn together about how our brains and bodies work so that we can not only have this understanding in marriage for how we can connect better, of course, that's what we're going for on this pod all the time, but also even integrating our hearts because Dr. Jerome is very high on the two scale. So that is so much fun. And I'm really glad that we have somebody who's amazing with the heart space as well as connecting us in the healthiest way possible with each other. So we're going to talk to him about that in just a few minutes. You guys are reminded, if you're listening live 2022, late, late, late October, that we are headed into Halloween. So happy Halloween. If you celebrate, I just got the reminder on my desktop, but of course I hadn't forgotten. Our family is dressing. I actually won a family discussion slash argument about what the costumes we're going to be. And we're going to be Lord of the Rings. And I'm so excited. It, it kind of landed on my turn after Wes had Star Wars last year. And I refused a bunch of other costumes that he wanted to do. And we none of us could decide together. And I'm like, I don't even care. Like I am 43 years old. I will literally be a parent walking my son around. But everyone's like, no, we want to do a family costume. This is a social family. So here we are. We're doing Lord of the Rings. Can you believe it? Ring of Rings of Power, I think, really swayed everybody to say, like, Krista, you finally get your turn because honestly, like, we know you could just go into your five and not care. But like, to be honest, like even Amazon is packaging everything with this theme. So it is if there's ever a time for your dorkiness to evolve into creation, this is the time. So I'm so excited and I will share a picture if you are on Instagram. <laughs> and I hope you share yours with me too, because I love simple holidays that are sharing the light in the dark world and just really all about connecting as families. And I hope everyone does a really good teeth brushing after that. I have my dental checkup on Thursday, so I am all set for that. But anyway, I hope your families are doing really well otherwise in the world. We are starting out this coming month. We're in this no man's land, no woman's land of the center between last month's focus of in-laws and now we're heading into finances. And we just have this, like I said, nice moment to make sure our brains are healthy. And I think that's been really important lately, even as our family has been studying in our anatomy and physiology classes that we're doing every Wednesday with the kids. We've been analyzing brains quite a lot. So I just want to remind you guys like, yes, there's a lot of theory here, but there's a lot of actual practical knowledge that Dr. Jerome is putting into what he's sharing with us today 
because we really do have sensory neurons picking up signals and delivering it to and through our body. And the motor neurons are telling us what to do. And it's a fascinating process that as Dr. Jerome is going to be sharing about is able to be manipulated by you, not in an unhealthy way, we hope, but in the healthiest of ways so that you get to be part of this neuroplasticity and you get to be part of, instead of everything being automatic, some of the messages that are sent. And so be understanding that we get it. Some things are very hard to switch. They're very unconscious, but we really do believe and hope and have examples in our lives and in the lives of our friends and loved ones and many of our other podcast guests that with intention, with focus, and he's going to share some other amazing tips that I want to give them away. You are going to be able to make these changes. So believe in this and be ready for a great week as you pick up these truly deliverables. And this is an episode you are getting a lot of information from. So make sure you listen again. If you are flooded at all, you can say, I'm going to grab this tip from this episode today. It is going into my list. It is going into my atomic habits, if you will. And now I am picking up the next one the next time. So don't allow yourself to take in 20 things and not take any of them out. Take one thing, maybe two, and start applying it. And I really know you're going to see results. Very, very cool. You'll even hear me learning with you. And speaking of us learning together, this Wednesday is the last day to join the collective for this semester, if you will. I'm very excited. We are delving deep into personal growth that will feed our marriage growth. And I also have a five-step process for you to learn all about how to make sure that your marriage is, your, your glow up is shining beautifully out there. But it starts with these processes of getting wellness and reuptake. And I'm so grateful to those who have joined our collective. I am opening that door for you again if you need support. We have over 25 podcasts for you, just for you guys. We also have the course and lots and lots of trainings and worksheets. So if you're that live learner or you just like to do it all on your own, we have you covered. So make sure you head to enneagramandmarriage.com. And then as we get to talk to Dr. Jerome, he's gonna share some of his amazing tools. But I wanna remind you to visit drjerome.com because he has a lot of brain-based training for you as well so that you can get that reuptake. So we're just covering every base through marriage, through your own mental health, and we just are so excited to learn with you. So let's take a listen to Dr. Jerome. Dr. Jerome, I am so happy to have you on the ENM pod. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you so much for having me. It's a, it's a gift and a treat. Oh, well, we're just grateful. We are digging into not only brain science here with you, but also talking about marriage. It is so fun for me to learn that you have been married for about 20 years. So tell us about you. Tell us about your family. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. It's it's, it's a lot of fun for me because, you know, I think we we end up in so many wild conversations around the Enneagram. We forget that this thing is just a part of our lives. And, mm-hmm. you know, I've, I've, I've got three kids that are seven and under. I've been mm-hmm. uh, with my wife for 20 years, married, almost 18. We've known each other for 25. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'll give you a couple of pieces. It's um, my wife and I met when she was 11. I was 13. Oh, She's wow. one of the few people that knew me before my dad passed when I was a freshman in mm-hmm. high school. So my dad passed mm-hmm. when I was 14 
And uh, my wife lost her mom as a senior in high school. I lost my dad as a mm. freshman in high school. Wow. So when I finished my degree, my undergrad is in digital animation, special effects production. Um, so I uh, I came home from the from school with this art degree and landed. And a few weeks prior to that, my wife had lost her mom, and no one else in our sphere of friends had lost a parent. So I connected just to check on her. We'd known each other at that point for six, seven years. And we hit it off so quickly that we said that the day that we started dating was just the day that I flew home, which oh. was uh, August 29th, 2003. Uh, Deborah was 17. I was 19. Uh, and we have been together since then through a lot of very interesting things. And we oh. raised her younger brother together in our first seven years of marriage oh. when she was 19, I was 21, and he was 12. So uh, marriage inside of parenting someone else's teenager as your on-ramp is always interesting. Um, yeah, and so then amazing. We, uh, we, uh, we got her younger brother into college, and, and he moved out of the house and moved on. And my wife decided to recover by moving to India for a year and doing nonprofit work. Uh, and she wow. didn't come back once. So during our eight-year marriage, she was she was living in the nonprofit NGO space uh, for the entire year while I was finishing my doctorate. Uh, and then we started having kids after I graduated. Uh, we have Bennett, who is seven. Margaret, who is four and a half, goes by Maggie. And then we have Finley, who is two. Uh, and we got a sampler pack. We got a brunette, a redhead, and a blonde. Oh, um, and they're, they're all ours, but they're very distinctly brunette, blonde, and and red. So it's been a, it's been a wild ride. But that's where we're at at the moment, living in Atlanta with three beautiful kids and and working into our third decade of marriage and neither of us are 40 yet. So it's, it's been an interesting ride. It sure has. And you, even before we got in, tell me your origins are from Africa. Like you just have such an eclectic story and how beautiful that you connected with your wife over grief. And we all know who have walked through really difficult moments of grief. When you have somebody who connects with you on that deep level, it matters. So that's beautiful that Absolutely. you reached out. Absolutely. Thank you. Wow, absolutely. And what is um your your high on two on the Enneagram? Tell us about where yeah. your wife stands on that. Yeah. So the way I describe it to everybody with my work is that we have pilots, co-pilots, flight attendants, and passengers. Mm -hmm. Everybody's on board. Everybody's got baggage, but everybody's involved. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So I use the whole Enneagram, but my pilots, I lead with two. That's definitely my lead pilot. Mm. Uh, my co-pilots, the ones that are also in the cockpit are uh, three, six, and nine. Those mm. are the three, six being the most supportive to my two, but my wife, her pilot is a six all day. So fortunately I have a co-pilot that's six, so we can speak yeah. that same language and head to that same destination, <laughs> uh, be it good or bad. We, we, uh, we, sometimes we're trying to figure out who's flying and who's leading and who's driving in six, but we're both very high in that. Uh, but yeah, she leads primarily with six and I lead primarily with two. Oh, that's fantastic. And what a cool segue into chatting a little bit about just how people can think about their Enneagram. We've been really doing a lot of the work. I think even people who have been studying Enneagram for a while now have been doing this work with you a bit and you're one of the pioneers. So thank you for this in terms of allowing us to remember that we're not just this one type reductionistically. So tell us more about your brain-based Enneagram and studies. Yeah, I appreciate it. You know, it's interesting. I think the the all of us are are influenced by our lifetime of experience and our parents' experiences. You know, mm -hmm. the joke is that we're kind of managing the trauma of our childhood based on our parents' trauma with their parents. So you know, these different <laughs> things that happen. But we know it's a comprehensive picture. 
Mm-hmm. And one of the things that's really influenced and biased so much of my perspective mm-hmm. is not only being a clinician who specializes in what's known as functional neurology. So we believe the brain can change mm-hmm. in practical and meaningful ways without drugs or surgery that you can exercise the brain like a muscle. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty cool and it's pretty complex. Mm-hmm. But also as a patient, you know, I experienced so many things where people just kind of distilled my experience into a single diagnosis and I had more than one problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I needed more than one solution. So as a patient, my experience tended to be very reductive. As a person, my experience tended to be very uh, complex. So one of the other things that's really biased that in the Enneagram world is, you know, I tell people all the time, I'm a South African-born Congolese refugee kid who came over to the States on asylum status. Uh, mm-hmm. And my dad spoke 13 languages. We spoke three. Uh, I've had 26 addresses and I've lived in five different countries. Uh, so what do I answer when somebody says, where are you from? Oh, you know, I can, I can tell you for sure I'm from Earth. I'm from the planet that we are currently on. I can tell you that for sure. Um, <laughs> But the reality is that my life has had so many variables that I think the thing that I've been leaning into from a from a brain science perspective, but also a practical perspective, mm-hmm. is you can live an incredibly rich and robust life in the same town that you were born in. I think that that's mm-hmm. incredibly possible. Mm-hmm. However, if you want to travel, you're going to need some ideas on what you need to pack, where you're trying to go, whether or not it's a, it's a, it's a developing country. It is a developed country. It is a war zone. It is a safe zone. So really it's taking the idea of the Enneagram and going, you culturally have a family of origin, but what we know about the brain nowadays is that it can change. And COVID has shown us this, Mm -hmm. that what we used to value three years ago may not be the same things Mm -hmm. that we value nowadays. So when the Enneagram is a value and a motivation attribute of what you feel you need and what you feel you want in the world, and that changes drastically, which Mm -hmm. happens based on trauma, Mm -hmm. then maybe your type can change too, or maybe your type can be affected. So just introducing the idea that you speak a particular language Mm -hmm. based on where you grew up, based on how you show up, but you can learn new languages. And in fact, uh, the question that I give everybody all the time is, do you know what your lowest number is and why? And if you don't, there's really significant opportunity that exists in being able to answer that question. Mm, I love that. And that's one of my favorite parts about your book that I want people to grab. It's just an important message for those, especially since we study marriage so much here, right? Like, what are we missing? And you're saying we have under, you know, we have not, you know, become world scholars or been able to outreach within our marriages Uh, individually. We're missing certain pieces if we don't know. And, you know, obviously studying the brain when certain areas of the brain are more or less activated, you're, you're going to be missing things or certain neurons are not firing and you're really helping people to take a look at this. Now, tell us about how you do this. Cause I think it's interesting, your methodology. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's really fun to be able to do it honestly. in in in, Chris, in the nature of a, a container, like a marriage, because I have been working for the last 10 years, doing a lot of couples profiles Um, using what I call the whole identity method, which is my method of looking at the whole Enneagram as a global experience. Mm -hmm. And you have that pilot, 
but everybody's on board. So how much of your system is paying attention to the pilot? It's like a pay grade, right? You're going to pay the pilot more than you're going to pay the person who sits at the back of the plane. Uh, And it costs you different things, right? But the reality is when I do couples profiles and we're able to look at how everybody on the team is intersecting with everybody else, one of the most core common themes or one of the most core common things that shows up is very, very commonly somebody's highest number or somebody's pilot Mm -hmm. is someone else's passenger. And what I mean by that is one of your highest numbers is your partner or your spouse's lowest number. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is because it's a complementary space. Mm -hmm. If you think about the color wheel, right? My undergrad being as an artist and and being in digital animation, Mm -hmm. complementary colors are on opposite sides of the color wheel for a reason. The reality is they don't become complementary until they blend. You can actually put them side by side. You can move them from one side of the color wheel. The closer they get, the more stark the contrast. So why that matters inside the world of marriage is subconsciously the way our brain works is that we are naturally attracted to something that we need, something that will help us to survive. So if you realize that your lowest number exists because you haven't encountered a healthy version of that. Either it wasn't modeled for you or it was modeled in very unsafe ways. Either way, you didn't have a healthy encounter with it. Mm -hmm. If your partner during the dating process, according process, the connection process, no, you're good. No stress. Um, Can you say that again? If your partner. Yeah, that's okay. Um, So if we understand that your partner is your lowest number, Your brain is naturally attracted to something that you need. And what I mean by that is whenever you have a low number, there's one of two things that has happened. Mm -hmm. You either have not had a healthy version of that particular energy modeled for you. It just Mm. didn't exist in viable ways. Or you definitely had an unsafe version modeled for you. Mm. Either way, you don't have a healthy example. Mm. So when that's so low, your brain's going, we have to avoid that. It doesn't feel safe. Mm. And then all of a sudden you start dating or courting or connecting with somebody who you start being interested in. And they're really high in that number you don't have. But because our brains are naturally rose colored, right? All of the things that were like, oh, for instance, okay, I'll give you a stark Mm -hmm. contrast as an example. Mm -hmm. Uh, let's say you're high in nine and your spouse is, uh, and your spouse is low in nine, uh, and you're high in eight and your spouse is low in eight. They tend to be the most obvious contrasting spaces. So if I'm a spouse who's high in nine Mm -hmm. and I want it to be quiet and I want it to be comfortable because I don't know what it feels like to have intensity. I don't know what it feels like to have a safe conversation where somebody raises their voice and it isn't conflict oriented. I don't know what it's like to really hit the gas and move forward at a speed physically that Mm -hmm. feels safe. And then all of a sudden I get this person who rolls up on a motorcycle, who's the, the, the risk tolerant, not risk averse person. And it feels so intoxicating. It feels so attractive. Right. Mm -hmm. And then the eight energy who's on the motorcycle is going, man, I'm so attracted to the way that you can just switch off the way you can just calm down the way that you can just rest. I don't know what it feels like to rest. You show me what rest looks like. So now all of a sudden they're offering to someone something that they've wanted desperately their whole life, but they haven't encountered. And it becomes attractive, right? Mm. But then when you get married, all of a sudden that spouse who showed you what it looked like to rest is slowing you down. Mm. And that that spouse who showed you what excitement and energy and moving forward in really intentional ways looks like is outpacing you and they're just doing things that feel unsafe. So all of these places are showing you that a lot of the times 
you know, spouses are really, really well-suited puzzle pieces, but then you get married and life bumps you and moves you around and you're still the same puzzle pieces, but you're so disoriented that you can't, you just can't seem to meet up in a way that feels supportive and, and collaborative. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's because it is a complementary space for a reason, mm-hmm. but it isn't as attractive as it was when you were first dating or when you were first married. So mm. the long and the short of why I say that is yeah. one of the amazing things with the marriage piece specifically is knowing that the things that first attracted you to your spouse mm-hmm. or your partner may be the most provocative pieces in your marriage at the moment, because no one's helped you realize that it was attractive when you realize that they had it at first, but now it's become provocative Mm -hmm. and being able to reconcile that if your spouse is high in a number that's low for you, it's normal to feel weird about that. But then you can start to learn how do I, how do I become more fluent in that language and safe and approachable ways? Because Mm -hmm. it's just not something that I grew up learning and it felt cool at first, but now it feels Mm -hmm. like a point of conflict. Mm, I love that. And it's absolutely true for us. My lowest number is one and that is my husband's number. So I really love that you share that. And I always tell him when I'm going into that one space, it's really good for me and I need to, but we also have instincts. And I know, you know, this with brainstem and all of that, that we have these instincts that seem to butt up against that too and block each other and bring out shadows. So we're not yeah. shining together. So I love your work. And I know I've read you say like, Hey, I've got years and years of research ahead of me. So we just want to follow you so we can learn with you. But tell yeah. us about like, what does that look like when you're trying to grow in marriage? And um, how can we walk through that with our spouses when we're saying like, I want to do some of these relational pieces. I know you talk also about how there's different ways of growing with our spouses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I love that you mentioned the instincts and then you said walking through it with your spouse, because the easiest way to actually feel like you don't even have to take an instinct test. Honestly, Mm -hmm. this is the way that I tell people that if you want to know what your instinct is going to walk with somebody. Okay. Mm -hmm. And what it looks like is if you are outpacing the person that you're walking with and you don't notice it, you're very high in sexual instincts. You're a gas pedal. You want to move forward. Mm. If you are distanced from the person in front of you and you have no desire to catch up with them, you're very high in self-preservation. You're more (laughs) of a distance or a withdrawal number. If you're always side by side and the degree to which you have to be at the exact same pace as the person next to you, that's a social. It just basically means that there's a gas, a brake, and a clutch or a throttle. That's energetically all that it is. You're either speeding up, you're slowing down, or you're cruise control, right? Oh my gosh, that is literally my husband and I love our walks and he's the social one. So he loves the crisp, clear walk next to one another. And I'm like, you know, speed up. Sometimes I'm like, go ahead of me because I'm lowest on the social. So I can trigger either of the other responses. So thank you for just giving our listeners ways that they can start gauging both of those things. Like it's okay if you're different than your spouse on type. Also the instincts, like we're drawn to the opposites attract a lot of the time. So this Mm -hmm. is fascinating. I did not know this is like such bonus material because I didn't know you had all this marriage info too. Yeah, absolutely. And it's one of those things where, you know, it's, if you understand that the instincts are actually just a conversation in your subconscious brain, it's the instincts are completely unconscious, subconscious. You can't make a decision from an instinct. It's a reflex. It's a reaction. It's not a response. Mm-hmm. It's not a choice. Okay. So if you cultivate an environment that allows you to become aware of that, and then you choose to remain engaged when it feels a little weird, then it just becomes practice, right? Because mm-hmm. two of the phrases that we use commonly is anything that feels un familiar will feel unsafe until proven otherwise. Mm. 
And anything that is unpracticed will feel unhealthy until proven otherwise. So what does that look like? If we know that instincts are actually a conversation about your physical proximity to another person, your physical speed, Mm-hmm. Then the way you can offer grace to yourself and your spouse is to think about the pace and the space that you're in. What I mean by that is as you're walking, mm-hmm. see if you can adjust the pace in a way that doesn't feel natural and just tell yourself, I'm practicing. I'm just practicing. Mm-hmm. Nothing's wrong. I'm just practicing. And then mm-hmm. if you're in a conversation where you need space, oftentimes when a spouse is saying, I need you to draw closer or I need to distance myself from you, their survival-based mechanism is saying, I can't stay safe and stay in the space with the same degree of distance or lack thereof at this moment. So it's somebody who's high in self-preservation wants to create a little bit more physical distance. Mm-hmm. Somebody who's high in sexual wants to create less physical distance. It's a proximity conversation. Mm -hmm. So being able to say, look, in this space, if you're more inclined to be a gas pedal in an instinct standpoint, which is sexual, Mm -hmm. for you to actually intentionally give the other person the opportunity to lead the conversation or the opportunity to be in front of you physically or the opportunity to decide that I need you to step back and that isn't personal, it's survival. Mm -hmm. You can change the actual physical size of the container or you can change the pace that you move at. So you Mm -hmm. can choose to slow down what you would normally do on autopilot. And if you're self-preservation, then you're saying, hey, I can be a little bit closer to you and know that you're not going to hurt me. I just don't feel comfortable. But if you do know that that person's going to hurt you, then your reason for withdrawing is really, really good, right? But if you're high in self-preservation, it's saying maybe I can I can pick up my speed and meet you a little bit more. Maybe I'm inclined to shut down and disappear and hibernate and hide. Maybe I stay in the conversation for two more minutes. Maybe I speak up when I don't feel safe to say something because that's the family of origin that I came from, but you're not my parents or my siblings, right? So I say when you're offering grace from this instinct perspective, Mm-hmm. Think about the actual physical pace, mm-hmm. the volume, the speed of the conversation, the speed of the movements, mm-hmm. and then think about the size of the container. If it feels too big, what does it look like to adjust on purpose? If it feels too small, what does it feel like to adjust on purpose? And you can take all of those things and ask yourself one question, which is how do I move on purpose? And if you move on purpose, you're not doing it in a reactive state. You're doing it from a responsive state so that you can be more responsible because you chose how to respond. So move on purpose. Hmm. I love that. And you really remind me that it's slow, intentional acts. It's these little baby steps that we can all incorporate and they're going to look different per subtype, which I think is new information for us to be hearing that the moves feel different, but moving Mm -hmm. on purpose with intentional acts is going to be safe. And like you said, if it's not safe, then you can thank your body for knowing that. But with your spouse, like you said, you didn't marry your family of origin. Now you talk a lot about one breath. I saw that on one of your Instagram posts recently. Tell us about how breath work or just taking a long, slow, deep breath could help some of this. Yeah. Um, The reason I'm so adamant about the breathing is because most of us don't do it, right? Mm -hmm. Even while we're talking on the podcast or people are listening to this podcast, how often are they stopping and going? And you're like, oh my God, that actually does feel really, really helpful. It feels very, very good. Look at that. Yeah. Maybe I do it again. 
maybe what I'm trying to talk about isn't as important as reminding my brain that we're not going to run out of time. Yeah. <laughs> that we're not going to forget something important, that everybody has already been helped. If we don't say anything else and what we've already said, it's okay. Right. Uh, and the reason being is your brain can't tell the difference between perception and reality. Your brain can't tell the difference between a bear and a deadline. If you're running late for a flight, your brain will respond the same way as if somebody pulled a gun on you. Anytime that you are running out of time or anytime that you feel like you don't have the space and the pace to take a deep breath, you are in a life-threatening situation. It may not be real but it's relevant. So if I'm in the middle of a conversation with my spouse or my partner or my friend or my kid or any relationship with another thing that is above ground, even an animal, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. Raising kids is like raising puppies. You can lose your patience real quick if they're chewing the furniture, right? And <laughs> I'm, I may be talking about, I may not be talking about the puppies. <laughs> right? exactly. um, if you're in a place where you feel like you're shutting down or you feel like you're speeding up or you feel like you're stuck, that's, that's the break, the gas and the cruise. Shut down is the break speeding up as a gas, being stuck as a cruise control, you're just stuck in a gear. Mm -hmm. Anytime that you feel like you are being triggered, to take a deep breath on purpose is to tell your brain, simply put, I am doing something that I cannot do if I'm in danger. I'm doing something that I cannot do if my life is being threatened. Because if I'm running from a bear in the woods, I'm not going to stop and have a board meeting with a bear. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to stop and have a conversation with a bear. I'm not going to be able to stop and think, hey, what's the 17 strategies for avoiding a bear? Right. All of it changes, right? When, when fear goes up, mm -hmm. cognition goes down. Mm -hmm. So if fear is coming into the conversation, and here's the thing, people are like, well, I don't, feel, I don't feel stressed. I don't feel anxious. I don't feel fearful. Fear, stress, and anxiety are the same thing to your brain as workload. So if you feel like you are working, if you feel like you are efforting, even if it's good work, even if it's meaningful work, the degree to which your body is efforting, the more you do that without the opportunity to rest, you are going to compromise your ability to think or feel effectively. Mm -hmm. So for you to choose to breathe like now, mm -hmm. I have to be able to say that that breath matters more than the next thing that's coming. That breath matters more than the point that I have to make. That breath matters more than the fear that I experience with my spouse when they raise their voice. That breath matters more than making my point. That breath matters more than getting the kids in the car. It matters more than finishing the, gross, uh, the grocery list. It matters more than sending the email. It's saying that I have enough time mm -hmm. to take one deep breath and we won't all die as a result of it. Because if you're unwilling to take a deep breath, you're literally telling your brain, we don't have enough time literally to do that and still survive. So for you to take a deep breath, you're, you're basically taking your brain from a threat response to a active choice to say, how do I stay in the driver's seat and engage in a meaningful way? Cause I'm starting to go on to autopilot. And if I keep ending up in really healthy places, cool. But if I don't keep ending up in healthy places, yeah. may not be cool. Um, so deep breaths are the thing that keep helping your body. Remember there are no bears. Mm. Wow, that is so important. And I think I'm somebody who spends more time in that sympathetic fight or flight just by nature of being a seven. So other yeah. aggressive assertive types might even be listening for that too. And I wondered if you ever have thought about nines maybe or others, maybe fours or fives spending more time in that spot than others, or is it hard to yeah. tell per type? 
No, it's not. I, the cool thing is uh, I've, I've been using the Enneagram in a clinical setting for 10 years. We actually use it as part of our intake process for diagnostics because it's more reliable than an MRI. Uh, it's crazy. Wow, really? uh, yeah, I can. I can look at somebody's profile and tell you what a spec scan from the Amen Clinic will say before you've even taken the scan. It's that reliable because it's, it's active brain function in real time. It's bananas. Um, That's my goal in the next 10, 10 to 20 years is to validate the model as a clinical diagnostic because it's so reliable. So that as an example to your question Mm -hmm. is, you know, the gift of seven is actually inspiration. That's why sevens want to have life-giving encounters because they want to be inspired. Mm. The reality is inspiration literally means to inspire, to breathe. Mm. The difference is Mm. that depending on your subtype, your relationship with breath work may be that it's too fast, too slow, or it is stuck. You hold your breath. You either breathe shallow, you hyperventilate, or you hold your breath. Those are the three survival mechanisms. Most people, when they're in a survival mode, don't go, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So the thing that I say when you look at seven and nine, and this is where some of it gets lost in the nuance of the Enneagram, because seven doesn't correct it, connect directly to nine. Mm-hmm. So people overlook it. Mm-hmm. But when you see all of the types as resources within your system, especially if you're high in seven, mm-hmm. you are going to have to intentionally choose to take a deep breath because it's not a natural wing. It's not a natural line that you connect to. Mm -hmm. You're going to be breathing all the time because you want something to be life-giving. You're trying to take life in at a rate that you can experience it that feels sensory, right? Mm -hmm. You can feel life. You can sink your teeth into it. Mm But, you know, this is the, this is the reality of everything, everything that you see that is a high intensity moment, that if you're doing something that is very high intensity, being able to control your breath is actually a very effective way to stay in the driver's seat. You don't have to substitute Mm -hmm. the adventure. It's just, if you're going to do something that is potentially life-threatening, which a lot of seven energy can do, Mm -hmm. right? Whether you're a self-preservation seven, like Alex Honnell, and you're going to climb El Capitan by yourself, barehanded. That's what I am. I'm self-pres and I love climbing. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, exactly. So it's like, I'm going to be by myself, but I'm still going to run the risk of dying. Right. right? Um, (laughs) Okay. That's different than the person who wants to be the BMX rider and X games. And they want to have the gold medal on TV. They want you to see them possibly lose their life. Right. Um, In all of those situations, when you have a high intensity, even this conversation for people who are not high in seven will feel profoundly intense. Mm-hmm. So for both the person who's high in seven and the person who's high in nine, being able to intentionally choose to breathe allows the seven to slow down enough to go, am I safe enough to proceed? Mm-hmm. And for the nine to take a deep breath and remember that they are safe enough to proceed. It's mm-hmm. different ends of the spectrum. The seven is taking the breath to make sure that they're not going too fast. And the nine is taking the breath to know that they can continue to move forward. Mm-hmm. It's different relationships, but the breath helps both of them. I do think a nine is able to breathe more naturally, more easily, but they're mm-hmm. allergic to adrenaline and a seven is addicted to adrenaline. So it's different mm-hmm. relationships with breathing. Yeah, we have right. noted that on our family vacays because <laughs> we have seven and nine in our family. So we yeah. have compromises. And as you said, we've been doing different paths to make sure that we're connecting and really honoring one another's temperament. So hearing about yeah. that is even part of it, just being able to stop and take a breath. When my teenage nine daughter says, that's not going to be a hike I want to do. We were able to do that this summer and it was so meaningful yeah. for me to go, that's you know what? I want to sit with you and not go. And then she's like, no, actually mom, I want to do this. So yeah, I'm learning, yeah. but you're, you're right that we that. all need breath work. 
We do. And that's where you keep coming back to. You can combine all of these thoughts in the the one question of, is this the appropriate pace for this space? And just asking that question mm-hmm. is going to slow you down enough to go, as you think about it, and you go, whether you thought about it for a second or you thought about it for a minute or you, your teenage nine daughter needed a day to think about it and come back yeah. to you with it, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. All of us are going to metabolize that question differently. But the yeah. fact that we introduce the question into the space is giving everybody permission to show up in their own way. Yeah. Is this the appropriate pace for this particular space? And the space will change by the moment. So 10 minutes later, that may change. So your daughter gets on the hike and 10 minutes in, she's like, you know what? My heart rate's going up a little bit more than I felt comfortable with. The pace doesn't feel safe anymore. The mm-hmm. space does, but the pace doesn't. And I want to have the permission to adjust because your heart rate's just starting to get up and you're like, this is fantastic. Let's keep going. And now it's even harder to change gears because you're wound up and you love it and they're wound up and they don't. So the grace to be able to say, is the pace appropriate for this particular space and knowing that it will change and mm-hmm. it can change and you give it permission to change by the moment. Now you're starting to understand how dynamic the brain and the Enneagram is because it's not fixed. Anybody mm-hmm. who's been a rela- in a relationship mm-hmm. for more than a week knows that what you thought was going to happen might not have been what happened. Okay. Wow. Yep. So Humans are not a knowing, boring science. No. So knowing that it will change more so than how it will change. So having that orientation to this is what it will be until it changes. And when it changes, I can ask that question again and we can reassess, right? Mm, Yeah. I'm just knowing everyone listening is getting something from that because we're moving in these different ways. And I'm thinking of the couples now, of course, when we're getting into Mm -hmm. conflict and, and balance and, you know, breath work for even intimacy. There are so many paths we could take that. Mm -hmm. I know one of the specialties that you have is helping us also though, as couples to be able to really distinguish, to make sure that we are in three different spots in marriage. So I wondered if you could tell us a little bit about that in terms of just how we can make sure we're hitting all the major areas of marriage we need to, um, in terms of friendship, partnership, and companionship. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And, uh, you know, I think this is also the thing that you can see this when you raise kids. You can see this when you have different kids. Like I've already, I'm nine and I have a three-year-old grandson. Okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Meaning that my 30-year-old first child, my surrogate, my wife's younger brother, uh, he turned 30 in August. So I've navigated 12 to 30. That was my first 18 years with my wife and her brother. And now I've got three kids that are seven and under. Mm-hmm. And any parent, I'm an identical twin. So wow. any parent knows that even identical twins aren't the same person, right? Yeah. yeah. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think the reason I mentioned that is we have to start the idea of going friendship, partnership, and companionship as the context mm-hmm. of your relationship is very dynamic. So one plus one plus one equals a whole. Is mm-hmm. it's, it's it's called a whole on theory, um, anyways. But and anybody who's been in a relationship for long enough will know that sometimes you're friends, sometimes you're partners, sometimes your companions and sometimes you're none of it. And sometimes you're all of it. It's a very Mm. dynamic thing. Okay. My wife and I have had plenty of experiences where we have been best of friends and experiences where we don't like each other very much. Mm. We've had an incredible partnership. And then we feel like we're in the completely different ends of the spectrum in terms of what partnership looks like, especially if there's an intimacy or a physicality to it in terms Mm. of that physical partnership. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then companionship, feeling like somebody is side by side with you in the journey of what it means to be a a spouse Mm -hmm. is sometimes that can feel wildly connected and then it can feel wildly disconnected. So it's, it's a dynamic thing. It's why we often find that 
that the number one time that people get divorced is in the first 18 months of mm-hmm. marriage. And then the number two time is within the first 18 months of being empty nesters. Uh, mm-hmm. And the reason being is the person that you got married to is not the same person that you are married to once your kids graduate high school. You mm-hmm. are different people and that is okay, right? Mm-hmm. So that being said, what is the difference between friendship, partnership, and companionship? Um, I think in that space, it's understanding that the 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 way that I do it, because everything is framed out through intelligence centers or kind of energies, mm-hmm. is that the companionship is is more of a is more of a headpiece. Mm-hmm. The friendship is more of a uh, a gut piece, and the partnership is more of a heart piece. And I'll explain why. Mm-hmm. Um, you first your first relationship with friendship is built in a lateral space, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's built in the in the sibling or the friends that you grew up with. Mm-hmm. So to be friends, and this is the thing, a lot of time in marriage, people think that it's just this high level executive function of running a household and you forget to be friends with your partner, mm-hmm. yeah. but your priorities yeah. turn into work and raising kids and all these other things. Yeah. So the, the, your relationship with friendship will drastically change whether or not you feel like you can be friends with your partner and with your spouse, mm-hmm. but that's dependent on what your history is with friends, right? So friendship is the practicality of your relationship. It's the action behind it. Mm -hmm. So your relationship with the gut center will very heavily bias your capacity or your interest or your ability or your fluency Mm -hmm. in being friends with your spouse. So if you're like, well, how do I know that? You can do the whole identity process. And the easiest way to do it is just combine your eight, nine, and one scores. And that's your, that's your relative way, your relative score for your gut center. And this will be Mm -hmm. on On the the ready. Okay. Yeah. Through the Enneagram Institute. So if you just combine eight, nine, and one, you have your relative kind of score for how accessible is friendship? How much do you need it? How much are you comfortable with it? Mm-hmm. Um, and then the the partnership side of that compared to the companionship side of it is the partnership is the heart behind it, right? It's like, okay, why did we get into this in the first place? What is the what is the merit behind it? Not the mechanics of friendship, like practicality for going out and having fun or connecting or resting at home. It's the merit. It's the value. It's the, it's the worth. Yeah. You are my partner. Mm-hmm. I see you as somebody who completes me, right? To, yeah. to quote the cliche statement, but the truth of it, it's yeah. the whole nature of the relationship in terms of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very heavily tied to do you see the person, right? Friendship is more of a process. It's like Mm. what you're doing. Mm -hmm. The partnership is more of the person. It's who are they and who are you to them, the value Mm -hmm. piece. Mm -hmm. But then the companionship, that's more of the plan, right? Mm -hmm. Like how are we actually navigating the world together? Because mm-hmm. that's the forecasting side of the head center, which is your mm-hmm. left brain is saying, hey, I want to be a companion with you. But the companionship really heavily is tied to how are we effectively walking this out moving forward, right? I am going to be reliable. I'm going to be supportive. I'm going to ask the right questions. I'm going to celebrate you, right? You're, you don't necessarily need your partner to be the one that inspires or motivates you. That's the seven. You don't mm-hmm. necessarily need your partner to be the one that is asking clarifying questions because then it gets a little bit dicey. Mm-hmm. You want the companion energy to be able to go, hey, let's think about this for a second. What do you need that mm-hmm. I can give you? Like, let's talk about it. And this mm-hmm. is the difference that you can feel another practicality of stepping back in the whole relationship and going, let's just use the centers as a, as a place to think if I want to understand a friendship with my partner, then what can we do that reflects eight, nine, and one, right? Mm-hmm. How can we do more in the eight? How can we do less in the nine? And how can we do something that's in between in the one? Mm-hmm. If you're looking at partnership, 
in the heart, you're saying, hey, what does it look like for us to really connect emotionally? And what are we feeling that we could talk more about in the three and really confide in each other? Because the three is for confidence, but the root word for confidence is confide. And then the four is like, hey, let's slow it down. Vulnerability slows us down, right? If we're having a really vulnerable conversation, sometimes it's hard to speak. And that's that four energy of going, hey, if I want to connect with you as my partner and I need to say hard things or get you to see those hard things, maybe I got to, it's a nonverbal space. The heart is a nonverbal communicator. So maybe I say less and I just feel with you. I offer you presence in that four space. I, I, I feel more, but I'm saying less in the four. And now I'm feeling more, but I'm having to actually say it out loud, which is hard sometimes for three, but let's do that. Let's say it out loud. And then the two is like, how can I support you more and really partner with you in a way that's meaningful because you matter to me? It's the nonverbal demonstration of that person's value. Mm. That's different. Wow. Companionship is saying, hey, I want to think through mm -hmm. how can I effectively engage and talk through this. Let me ask clarifying questions and give you space to ask clarifying questions. That's five. Mm -hmm. Let me actually show you that I'm not going to leave. I'm not going to quit. I am going to be reliable. I do trust you and I do trust myself, but that's hard. That's six. Yeah. And then seven is like, hey, after we did all of this stuff, let's not forget it's going to be a different experience for each of us and what it looks like to celebrate a win. And sometimes it can be really hard to recognize that the hardest conversations where you feel absolutely exhausted are a win, but it's easy for some of us to say that. Mm -hmm. So what does it look like to be able to celebrate each other in, 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 in really companion-based, reliable ways that actually improve our felt sense of security and stability? Um, mm -hmm. So long story short, look at eight, nine, and one for friendship, more mm -hmm. or less, or just this is a little bit somewhere between mm -hmm. look at the heart center for partnership in terms of two, three, and four, mm -hmm. uh, and then look at the head center for companionship in terms of five, six, and seven, those energies and those spaces will model for you. If you just look at that particular numbers mm -hmm. kind of um, predisposition, mm -hmm. uh, I know that I'm lower in seven. Mm -hmm. So if I'm high in six and I'm lower in seven, I would want to be very reliable with my wife. But when she starts to celebrate that I did something well, mm -hmm. I trust her. I just don't trust being high in two that I earned it. Right. So for me to be able to see my wife trying to celebrate me as a companion and saying, I trust you, it's going to take more work for me to hear that she's celebrating me because that's not my natural bias, especially mm -hmm. being high in two and thinking I haven't done enough to earn that. Mm -hmm. So there's ways that you can see all of these and they help to fill in it's a nuanced piece. And I know I'm giving okay. you guys a lot, but one of the other things that I also tell people all the time now mm -hmm. is if this is valuable enough or interesting enough to you, you'll go back and listen to it again. If not, mm -hmm. then you got whatever you needed out of it. And that's cool too. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So just, mm -hmm. just see whatever feels right for you and, and either re-engage or walk away with whatever you did. Oh my gosh. I love that. And we have lately been trying to remind people at the end of that same thing, because I know people do hit overwhelm and like you mm -hmm. said, though, there was probably something they got from today that they particularly needed and they can mm -hmm. come back to it. That is the cool thing about mm -hmm. you recording with us. And this is a really cool revolutionary concept for them and, and for me too, to think of these yeah. types in these ways. So I didn't even expect that to come from it. And I'm grateful because I do like celebrating the hard work because I know how marriage is such a a journey and it's very like you said there's grief involved when we lose people or moments or stages of life and you've had the teen years first god bless you <laughs> but you know it's just it's beautiful for people to be able to say like how can we navigate differently on these walks how can we be breathing together 
And even me, like you said, even during the interview, I'm learning from you because I'm breathing differently. And instead of thinking, what are the 50 questions coming at me curiously now, I'm just going to sit with it. So thank you. This is amazing. You're welcome. You're welcome. Yeah. And I guess I do want people to be able to find you. So tell us where we can continue to learn from you. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. And thank you for modeling for me and your listeners what it looks like to uh, to adjust in real time. We are dynamic and we're plastic people. We can change. It's mm-hmm. a beautiful thing. Yeah. Um, if you feel safe to do it, right? So thank you for, for that. That was awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, the three biggest things that I would share with folks mm-hmm. is if if you like listening to what I'm saying and you'd like to do it at faster speed or slower speed, <laughs> my recommendation is to use a website called Listen Notes. Uh, it's a podcast aggregator. And if you just type in Listen Notes on Google and you type in my name in the search bar, there's 160 podcasts that have been on in the last five years. Uh, and you can just cherry pick the topic and you can play it at half speed or two and a half speed, right? Whatever feels good for you. So Listen Notes has a ton of free content. Um, the other thing is Dr. Jerome on my Instagram, D-O-C-T-O-R, doctor spelled out, Jerome is our Instagram. I took a two-year hiatus off of Instagram during COVID because I had other things to focus on and I'm not really a social media person anyways, but I have a really, really great team that's able to leverage what I communicate in really digestible nuggets. Uh, and since the beginning of August, we have been putting out a lot and we'll be putting out a lot more. So a little bite-sized pieces is Instagram, doctor.jerome. Jerome. Mm -hmm. And then the last one is if you want to have some more specific content, like uh, there's an e-course that we have called Finding Safety, Sustainable Strategies for Self-Care. And it's six and a half hours of finished video with worksheets and infographics and 21 videos on understanding your brain and understanding self-care and finding safety. Uh, Mm -hmm. And then there's e-courses on the Enneagram that are less than $50 each that help you understand all of this at a slow pace that you can pause. And there's tons of uh, imagery and, and resources there too. So I'd say the biggest thing is listen notes if you want just the warehouse of podcasts, uh, Instagram, if you want the bite-sized nuggets and then drjerome.com, which is drjerome.com, uh, has my personalized, um, kind of, um, proprietary content and some of the things around my perspectives on brain health and, and Enneagram through brain science. And, uh, there's a lot of other things that are there as well. A lot of good spaces and you were considerate to think about how different people would want to navigate. And that just speaks to me as a, you're a high two that you've been doing your work on knowing like we're, we're all different. So it feels very safe (laughs) coming from a head type. I'm like, this is so safe. (laughs) And so no wonder I was able to tweak how I was reacting during our time because you made it very safe for me and our listeners. So thank you. You're so welcome. I appreciate it. Okay, you guys, that was so much fun to talk, to learn, to grow. Obviously, you're hearing me say, and I know you're doing your own rhythms with me, these are the things I need to work on. These are the things I need to let go of. These are the things I want to do better and hold on to. So make sure you visit drjerome.com and the other links that are in the show notes for you. And make sure that if you'd like to jump into the collective, that you join us. If you're listening live, happy Halloween, wherever you're at. We hope you're having a great week. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you again for listening with us. It was so wonderful to have you. I love knowing we're doing this journey together, not perfectly, but with love, grace, and hopefully some fun too. If you love today's episode, make sure you leave us a five-star review at Apple Podcast or Spotify so others can find it too. 
visit our show notes so you can get all the links from today's show as well as enneagramandmarriage.com, the Instagram, the Facebook, and all over the place. Make sure you spread the word. Love living intentionally with you. Bye-bye.